Humans say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Why? Do you think there's a shortage of bad ones? Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri, and joining me at the microphone is... Ryan Mazzocco, podcast host, 6735148. Okay, each week we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we take a closer look at it, and we discuss it, don't we, Ryan? Ryan Mazzocco, podcast host, 6735148. Okay, I, th- I think we're all getting a little tired of your name, position, and phone number, Ryan. Uh, this week, we're taking a look at the episode Forced Perspective, right? Ryan Mazzocco, podcast no, Stop host. it. No. No more. I actually found some interesting things to discuss, so you mind if I go ahead and just get started into that? Right. No. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so we have the episode Forced Perspective, and just a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. We kind of danced around it just a little bit, and uh, he's been on for several episodes, and I really haven't given him much uh, attention, but we have Steve Basic returning. I think it's Basic. Basic? I've heard it pronounced Basic all like on film, so... Really? Yeah. Uh, Entertainment Tonight introduced him as Steve Basic. Go with Mary Hart. I don't think it was Mary Hart. It was the one that replaced her. John Tesh? Not John Tesh. <laughs> so anyway, for, for this show, we have Steve Basic returning. And he returns, of course, as Gaharis Rade. Uh, and I haven't talked much about him, so I figured I'd go ahead and delve into that now because we're going to see him here and we're going to see him definitely in some later episodes as well. But he was a uh, Croatian born, but then moved to Windsor, Ontario. That's what he calls his hometown uh, before moving on to Vancouver and getting into acting there. He began his career with a spot on the 91 uh, television series 21 Jump Street with uh, Johnny Depp. That was, uh, he had a little bit of a guest spot there to start off his career. And then in 1994, he actually showed up on, and we have here again, The Commish Factor. What? In Andromeda. He was on The Commish. Wow. We need to keep a tally of this. I am. Okay. I am. At the end of season one, we're Mm going to tally how many people we've run into that were on The Commish. All right. And that's got to be our next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Serious. We got to get on that. All right. And then, of course, he had many roles that he played throughout uh, 90s television and in some film. Uh, most notably, though, uh, coming into the 2000s, he actually showed up as Dr. Hank McCoy on X-Men 2. So he was actually in the X-Men franchise. Coinciding with his role on Andromeda, though, interestingly enough, he played uh, a couple of roles on the Stargate SG-1 series. He played Camelus. Uh, in uh, later in later seasons, but he also played in a, in a couple of episodes as Major Coburn uh, in, I believe, the initial series of uh, Stargate SG One. He also has uh, has done roles in Smallville and in uh, most currently the CW's The One Hundred as a Grounder is the character name that he played in that show. And then also we have uh, a couple of other guest stars that I wanted to make mention of here: Mackenzie Gray. He plays Venetri 
in this episode. And, uh, he, and he's been active as an actor since the early 90s as well. And he's one of those actors that has a unique look about him. And, and as I'm watching him on this episode, I'm sitting there thinking, I know I have seen this guy in something more recent. And anyway, I, I had to... Uh, yeah, get... I, I thought that too. Did you? Yes, I did. Okay. And sure enough, as I dug through IMDb, I found what it was. Before I get to that, though, he had a lot of, like I said, a lot of roles in the early 90s. He even played in a series that I love, uh, a TV movie spinoff of the Babylon 5 series. He was even a, a character in, in one of those, uh, the made-for-TV movies that came out after the, the series had ended. He also voiced Obadiah Stain and Ironmonger in the Iron Man Armored Adventure animated series, which I thought was interesting because my son loves to watch that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the role that I thought I might have seen him in, uh, kind of surprised me once I made the connection, 2013's Man of Steel. He was in that movie. Oh, yeah? As Jax Orr was his, his credited name. Mm-hmm. He's the, the I, I don't know if it was a doctor or if he's, he's, he's on board the, 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 uh, the general, General Zod's ship. Okay. And, and he's actually the one, I believe, that takes blood out of Kal-El, out of Superman. Huh. Uh, yeah, but he, he's got a couple of, of lines in that movie and it shows up at several times throughout the movie. And that's, that's where I had seen him. So I, it's, it's interesting to see uh, the familiar face, but, uh, what almost, uh, 15 years removed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from his role here in Andromeda to, to seeing him just last year and, or I guess the year before last mm-hmm. in a uh, man of steel. Okay. Well, maybe after we get done recording this, we'll have to, in honor of this, to We'll watch Man of Steel. Pop it in and see see him on screen. And then also we have uh, Kim Hawthorne. Uh, She plays the uh, lawyer that Mm -hmm. uh, that questions Dylan while he's being incarcerated. And she's had a lot of roles as well, uh, showing up in such uh, TV roles in uh, Millennium, Outer Limits, Stargate SG-1, and has done voice work for the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man animated series. Uh, She's also going to return. Later on in Andromeda, she'll have a fourth season role that we'll mention when we, when we get to that particular episode. Okay. And then even after Andromeda, she went on to do a lot more television and film. Uh, I, of note, a particular favorite of mine, she was actually in the Chronicles of Riddick, had a small role in that, that movie as well. She appeared most recently in 2015 in an episode of this season's run of uh, Castle. On, on ABC. Oh, yeah. Which is a, another favorite show of mine. Mm-hmm. In the vein of Commission and, and others. Okay. And then finally, uh, I guess there there was one more that I wanted to mention. Uh, Chappelle Jaffe. Uh, she plays Admiral Constanza Stark, <laughs> which I think was interesting. I had to bring it up because there's our continuity right there, isn't yep. it? Yep. Yep. Continuity in the series. There, there's Admiral Stark. And she has a long list of guest appearances and minor film roles as well. Uh, and then the last little bit of interesting news I had for this was Venetri, the character Venetri, uh, smacks of Albert Speer. And if that name isn't familiar to you, uh, look back through your World War II history. Albert Speer was uh, Hitler's favorite architect, his chief architect uh, in the Reich. And he was tasked with uh, building up Berlin ahead of the 1936 Olympics. So he was responsible for a lot of the the. Uh, the coliseums, the the venues that were built for the Olympics, and uh, and a lot of the layout of Berlin to get it modernized and ready for the the uh, 1936 Olympics. Later, he served as Hitler's uh, armaments minister, but he 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 soured 
on the uh, the Reich very quickly, and he was one of several senior generals that were involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler from within. Hmm. He also worked against Hitler's scorched earth policy, trying to to save some of the infrastructure and buildings and even some of the cities that uh, were going to be raised uh, ahead of that uh, that scorched earth policy that Hitler put in place. He was tried in Nuremberg. And he was the only one that was tried there that actually pled guilty to the charges brought against him. He was very apologetic and accepted moral responsibility for uh, the crimes that the Nazis committed uh, and his own complicity towards them. So interesting that this story of and with this character, uh, Venetri, it, it kind of goes along or, or his actual history was kind of drawn from in mm-hmm. order to to get this character mm-hmm. uh, for this show, which I thought was interesting. So that, that's that's what I've got here. That is really interesting, and I'm not joking or just saying that. No, I'm I'm real into history too. So that that was really neat to to hear. All right. So anyway, that's what I've got for uh, a little bit of the background of this show. Why don't you, Ryan, tell us about what happens in Forced Perspective? Our Andromeda crew is all separated out, looking for a new AP solenoid valve. Dylan and Trance went one way, Harper and Rev Bim went another, and Becca and Tear stay behind to maintain the ship. Good news! Dylan and Trance have found the part on Sigma Tau 5. Dylan sends a message to Harper and Bim to just chillax until they come to pick them up in a few days. Just then, someone enters the Maru. Dylan is expecting Trance, but it's a SWAT team, apparently only armed with a single taser, but highly skilled in hand-to-hand, who beat up Dylan and abduct him. During the fight, Dylan is able to rip a button off of one of the uniforms, which is left behind. The camera zooms in on the button, so maybe it'll be important later. Sometime later, enter Trance, who discovers the evidence of a fresh fight and the button on the floor. The button is decorated with some sort of logo, which prominently displays a compass. You know, the kind you draw circles with, not the kind that points to Magnetic North. Dylan is held in a chair in a dark room being interrogated about crimes of murder, terrorism, and conspiracy. Dylan doesn't have any idea what is going on, and then his interrogators ask him about a scar, which is revealed on his belly. Flashback! Dylan is meeting with Admiral Stark, who talks to him about a mission. He's not being ordered, it's voluntary. Yeah, that kind of mission. She says that if he does it right, that no one has to die. He accepts and is introduced to his partner... Harris Rade. Dylan's code name will be April, and Rade will be March. Back in the cell, Dylan starts just reciting his name, rank, and Commonwealth serial number. This gets old fast, and they just start roughing him up real good. The interrogator tells Dylan that they know his intent all along was to assassinate their leader and to overthrow their government. Dylan objects to this accusation. Flashback. Dylan and Rade stand in a big hallway, reading their mission assignment on a flexi. Their task? To extradite Chancellor Farron of Mobius to Tarn Vedra to stand trial for his invasion of Zangbristol IV. As they walk and talk their way down the hallway, they are approached by a rather skittish-looking fellow who makes some strange conversation about the weather in March, April, oh, May. This must be Mr. May, the third and final piece to this trio. He is very valuable to this mission, since he is the architect who designed the entire complex and can get them past all security features. When Rade suggests that they should just kill Farron, Mr. May starts to freak out a little, but Dylan promises that they are not there to kill anyone and that no one should die. Well, that would be a boring show, wouldn't it? 
Back in the cell, Dylan continues to recite his name, rank, and serial number when he is informed that he has a very important visitor. The door opens and a figure emerges from the shadows until the light shines upon his face and... Hey, wait! It's that guy! Mr. May, and he does not look happy. However, Dylan now addresses him as Venetri. It seems that something has happened between them since the last flashback, and they are no longer on a month-to-month basis. But he is also no lowly architect anymore. He is now the supreme leader, ruler of the sovereign system of Mobius. Flashback! The three continue along the obstacle course led by May, as Rade and Dylan continue to discuss back and forth about killing Farron, much to the dismay of Mr. May. They encounter guards in the hallway, which Venetri tries to bribe, but it doesn't work. They get in a fight, and the guards die, with Dylan and Rade each killing one. Apparently, this flashback was being projected on the wall in the interrogation cell, as all are watching. After a little more accusation, Dylan returns to reciting his name, rank, and serial number. Flashback, Venetri laments the loss of life, protests their methods, but Dylan sends him on his assignment to meet with Farron. Dylan is now sleeping in a prison cell, where he is awakened by Trance, who busts him out of his cell. Flashback. The heat gets turned up as the dead guards are discovered and an intruder alarm sounds. Rade is sure they have to kill Farron now, but Dylan thinks that holding a high-level hostage could be better. As Dylan and Trance try to escape through a ventilation duct, Dylan spots Venetri going to a room and decides to follow him in. When they go in, they find not Venetri, but a room full of Venetri parts. They deduce that for the last 300-some years, Venetri has been cloning his own body for spare parts in order to keep living. Dylan now determines to settle this once and for all. But Trance pleads with him not to pursue this course. They have a long conversation about infinite possibilities, actions, and consequences, but mostly intentions. What are Dylan's intentions? Flashback. Dylan and Rade bust into a room to arrest Farron. Farron pulls his firearm and shoots Dylan in the stomach. They finish him off but Rade does most of the shooting. Trance convinces Dylan not to repeat that same course, but to examine his intentions. Dylan enters Venetri's room, where he sits quietly with his back to the door, looking defeated. He accuses Dylan of being a liar, lying about the nature of the mission, the loss of life, and even the Commonwealth protecting Mobius in their time of transition. Flashback. Dylan and Rade receive commendation from Admiral Stark, as well as their promotions and new assignments. Rade, first officer of the Andromeda Ascendant, and Dylan, captain of the Andromeda Ascendant. Dylan now offers to let Venetri go and offers him an opportunity to be an architect in the rebuilding Halcyon system and plans for a peaceful transition. Oh yeah, meanwhile, this whole time, Becca and Tyr have spent the time alone on the Andromeda, pumping iron, venting the system, talking philosophy and relationships, having candlelit dinners, and getting extremely awkward. Oh good, the Maru is back! The rest of the crew comes on board. Off-camera, Harper fixes the ship with the new part. The end. Flashback. Let's talk... Oh, wait, no. This is real life. We're going to talk <laughs> about the show now, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that was good with the flashbacks. There were a lot of them. There there were a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this. All right, first thing I noticed right off the bat, and it's right at the start of the show, what have we talked about before, about the Maru? It's butt ugly. <laughs> Not just that. Okay. But uh, somebody needs to call Brinks. <laughs> because the locks on this thing are awful. Because Dylan's on there. You know, he thinks he's alone. Uh, the only person that should have access is Trance. Is there uh, 
you know, is there a knock on the on the airlock or something like that? No. They just come right on in. They just come right on in. And he thinks it's trance because they just came right on in. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. He is expecting trance. Right. So, you know, well, like a lot of times when uh, when I know that you're going to come over, like to record a podcast, well, I'll just leave the, the door unlocked. True. You know, because I know if someone comes in, it's probably just Ethan to record a podcast. <laughs> you know, it's probably just trance coming home. With some stuff she picked up at the market, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, it was nice to see the motorcycle security helmets again. Yeah. From A Rose in the Ashes. Mm-hmm. They make a reappearance here. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. It's a good way to uh, reuse costume pieces. Yes, it and, is. And hopefully not be noticed. Oh, it's noticed. <laughs> at least by me. Uh, and finally, uh, also key to that scene, it was great to see that the uh, collectible... Pog craze of the late '90s has a resurgence three thousand years in the future with the uh, the compass disc. Oh yeah, I know it's supposed to be a button, but it looks like a pog laying on the ground. Well, this isn't the first time we've seen a pog. That I know. In, in I know. I know. So yeah, so, yeah. here we go. Uncle Sid's uh, little currency disc. That's right. A, yeah, that was a the little flashy thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ethan, this may just be um, nitpicky, but. I wouldn't have even noticed it if it hadn't been for the fact that you picked it the first time we saw this. Uh, Trance comes in there, and she notices that the, the blast marks on the wall from the taser... See, you're smiling. You know where I'm going with this. She says, oh, they're fresh. So... We've heard that line before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it really didn't bug me, but I knew that it bugged you. <laughs> so I wanted to bring it out. <laughs> Glad you did. Just to see how how you would react about that. So yeah, yeah we have um, we have fresh blast marks on the wall. It's, the battle was fresh. So obviously we're re- we're referencing back to uh, episode three. Yeah, um, to lose the faithful to lose light. The faithful light again. Yeah, where Harper says, "Battle damage, it's fresh." <laughs> yeah. So you know, evidently, I guess battle damage can eventually go stale. Um, Apparently, yeah, it loses its freshness over time. <laughs> Yeah, better check the freshness date on that battle damage. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the Perseid from the last episode probably did not lose his battle damage. He was his battle damage was sealed. That's right, from freshness. That's, that's right. right. Okay, I'm coming back to locks again. <laughs> uh, didn't we just do this? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's one of those things, you know. Uh, Venetri, his parts room. Okay, uh, didn't he design the security in the the Mobius? facility that, that he's having to sneak them through mm-hmm. yeah which are we are we going to talk about the checkered floor oh i've got a note for it okay yeah. okay so i'll leave that to you <laughs> i'm coming back to his room though his, his parts room mm-hmm. um so he's designed all of the security uh well 300 years ago he designed all the security for the building so you assume he hasn't lost a step and being the the leader slash dictator of Mobius, he would be a little more paranoid about security. Mm-hmm. And yet Dylan and Trance just walk right into his genetic parts room. Yeah. <laughs> out of the hallway. I thought that was a little odd that there was no, uh, there was no, you know, kind of uh, lock system or security pass or, or, or booby trap, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is obvious. He's good at that. Yeah. But uh, it didn't exist for his little parts room there. The door just opens for them, right. and they just step right on in. I'm thinking something like that you would want to keep 
hidden. Yeah. Even from people inside of your mm-hmm. stronghold. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet there was no checks and balances. There was no lock system, no security whatsoever. You mm-hmm. could just walk in and, you know, play with a right. used part. Speaking of checks or checkers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this now. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the black and white obstacle course, uh, the checkerboard obstacle course, um, that was weird. I'm going to relate something to you. Okay. Just the other day, I walked into Steak and Shake. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I had flashbacks. I could not, I couldn't go in the entrance, <laughs> the, you know, because they got the checker floor uh-huh. there. I was afraid it was going to explode in my face. Okay, well, I didn't know if maybe there was going to be like poison darts coming out of the wall or... You know, explosion seems messy. You know, it, whatever whatever goal they had, at some point they needed to have like a, a sandbag with a, a statue <laughs> on a pedestal. We mm-hmm. needed to have that. Yeah. And 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 Vinitri like get the balance right, mm-hmm. or a ball's gonna roll out into the hallway and kill you. <laughs> right. That is an that is an awesome idea. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. You should write that down. Put that in a movie. <laughs> I think it's been done. Oh, has it? <laughs> So I guess um, Becca and Tyr, maybe while they they were there alone, maybe they had some time to watch some Star Trek, uh, especially some uh, some real good Klingon episodes. Because the only thing that was missing was the kapla. Wolf heart. Did you see? Did you see when they were sitting down to dinner and they kind of they they did the little like a the Klingon salute? They beat their chest and oh yeah the, yeah, yeah when he's talking about his his father teaching his. What was he talking about? His dad teaching him how to cook or something, right? Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't um, there was something you left out of your uh, your trivia, though. There was um, the role of Tears' hands were played by a hibachi chef. Oh, uh, it was quite convincing. His uh, his his mm-hmm. his cutlery uh, skills, mm-hmm. knife play. There, uh, I was kind of convinced that he could do that. Maybe he could. Maybe he can do one handed pull ups too. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, good point. Uh, I have to I have to bring up another little detail that I thought was interesting as uh, as they finish looking at their flimsy with their orders when they're on Mobius. Uh, Rade, I believe it is, tosses it into the trash can. Yeah, public incinerators. That's a, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. Uh, the question I have about that is it, it's a good solution if you don't have landfill space. Okay, it's fantastic. Yeah. But as we see it depicted there. I'm wondering if it's possibly hazardous for the public and, and really brings to mind uh, the question of how do you defend against public litigation for burn victims? Mm, <laughs> because yeah. the flames shoot quite high out of yeah. that. Uh, all uh, uh, Princess Bride, the, uh, you know, the, the sand trap forest mm-hmm, that they make yeah. their way through with yeah. the ROUSs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Public incineration. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. I, I I thought you were maybe going with the, the lack of a, of a ventilation system for that too, because you know, I mean, that's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Fumes. Um, yeah. Another thing that I thought of was, wouldn't that have been a good place to to put those bodies of those guards? Absolutely. Then they don't get no discovered. discovery. Yeah. So we learn um, we learn some interesting math from trance uh, okay. when it comes to guessing. Uh, it turns out that ninety uh, percent of the time it's fifty-fifty. That sounds like a movie line I've heard somewhere else too, <laughs> and I think you know what I'm talking about. Sixty percent of the time, 
it works every time. <laughs> <laughs> I know I heard That's that. Right. And I kind of thought of that. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question. Okay. From what we saw in the episode, what we saw from the flashbacks, and what we saw from what they saw projected on the wall, um, Dylan says that that footage was altered. Yeah. Was it? I... I they didn't explain how. There was no explanation as to how or why mm-hmm. he, he thought it was altered. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that I, maybe there's something in the fact that Venetri is kneeling next to the body and then disappears. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say that's that's pretty obvious that something's been tampered with mm-hmm. if that's what he's focusing in on. But honestly, I, I don't think that there is ever any explanation as to how it happened differently. Right. Because we're led to believe this whole time that these are Dylan's flashbacks. Yeah. He's seeing all these things, and it's taking him back. Yeah. You know? When she shows him the wound, he looks at the wound on on himself, and that takes him to a flashback. All these different things within this complex, he sees them, it takes him to a flashback. Someone says something, it takes him to a flashback. Yeah. And then at the end of this flashback, he says that we just saw, we know it's Dylan's flashback, but then he says, well, that, that, that... that footage has been altered. Yeah. Which, it, it, all of a sudden, it does seem odd that they're looking at a projection of a memory. Uh, and this is being portrayed as Dylan's memory. Or, or I don't know. It, that is, I hadn't thought of it as being, I mean, I thought of it at the moment as being, well, that's kind of odd. And then it's not addressed. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of forgot about it. Now that we're focusing on it, though, you're right. It's almost out of place. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you explain it. Yeah, like you say, the only thing that it possibly could be, from what we saw, that I can think of, is the fact that Venetri is there kneeling next to the body with Dylan, and then when we see it in the room, we see his image uh, fade out of picture. So then maybe that's telling us that what they're all seeing is just Dylan. So maybe they're trying to to portray the idea that... um, yeah, actually, that he, that he had nothing to do with it when he was there. The whole maybe that would have sort of um, involved him in it, made him an accessory, yeah. but but kind of. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, that's a possible explanation for it. But I think ultimately, what it comes down to here is, I think this. I, I keep I keep saying production error, and, and and I hate that I have that I keep coming down to that. But I think that's what we're looking at. I think we're looking at a very hu- uh, hurried method of getting to the next point in the storytelling because mm-hmm. immediately following this viewing that they've had in this interrogation room remember also standing there is Kim Hawthorne's character the lawyer as, mm-hmm. as she's credited with in in this role she's standing there and all of this is is being observed by everyone around in the interrogation room in order to set up her character stepping forward and saying mm-hmm. you killed my father Mm-hmm. That was my father. And so I think what they obviously throughout all these interrogations, they haven't been showing all of these flashbacks projected on a wall. It's just this one is seen in order to kind of move the story ahead so that we can introduce her as being related to the, the dead guard, which, which sadly I, we didn't need to see this on the wall, except for the fact that I think that's exactly what they're going for. They they had to set up this next plot point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you don't really there is no explanation as to why the film is altered because really without the film being altered you could still argue the two points of view Dylan is there to kill or Dylan is there to do the right thing mm-hmm. or or simply to do what he's ordered to do and he's trying to make the best of the situation unaltered it doesn't matter if they kill the guards or not you know there, there's two opposing points of view that's being argued mm-hmm. Dylan says it's been altered but maybe it hasn't been I mean, because Venetri is arguing one point, Dylan's arguing the other point. Mm-hmm. The only reason why these are, like I said, the only reason why it's being watched is because you have to introduce this lawyer character in as being an ancestor of mm-hmm. this dead guard from 300 years ago. Right. Well, couldn't you've just shown a morgue photo? Yeah. I mean, just say, just, just put the picture down or, you know, show him a flexi. Remember this guy? But didn't it throw you off to see the memory projected on the wall with Dylan watching it? In the, I mean, it was just kind of a segue. Well, yeah, it threw it's me a off. segue, but not in a good way. I know. Uh, yeah, I think a better way would have been uh, maybe set it up beforehand. Yeah. What if? Um, okay, here's here's a thought. Before that whole sequence of when they see the guards, go ahead and get out a flexi with a picture of that guard. Slap it down right in front of Dylan. He sees that guard's face. That triggers a flashback, flashback yeah. to where they encounter him and see, in the hallway. And see, now we're rewriting the episode. Because that would have been a smart play. And I think that's ultimately what they were trying to do. Okay. It, the execution just, I don't think, was there. Mm-hmm. Because in the absence of exposition as to why the film was altered... And then that goes away completely in, yeah. the, in the in the plot in the story. We get no explanation for that. Mm-hmm. That would have been a, a a better way of getting from A to B, right? But it didn't happen. Yeah, and you know what? If they're going to do it that way, then that's fine. But then just just don't have the line that the film has been altered. Yeah, because no one um, no one refutes that line. No, there it, it gets no reaction at all. No, he says the line. They move on to the next point. Yeah. So then we're all stuck with, hey, wait a minute, go back to the thing about it. How, how do you know? What What do you know? You know, is this going to get Dylan free somehow? Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's go. Let's let's delve into this. Let's- uh, yeah. So they just completely ignore it. Yeah. And, which I guess is that's what they would do probably if they had altered it. True. Let's just move on. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is true. This is a dictatorship we're dealing with. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, but what about us, the audience? We want to know what Dylan knows. Kind of important to cater to us. Mm-hmm. The show is happen. for us, <laughs> not for Dimitri's <laughs> people. Right. No, it's a good point. Uh, and we, we, but we don't get an explanation. You know what I did like about this whole scene, though, is this is amazing that this happened, that we watched this episode right now when we did, because for about the last two weeks, I haven't told you about this, but I've been in the brainstorming process of a Star Wars fanfic, and it's probably never going to be written, but <laughs> but it's something I've really been thinking about, and this episode addresses the very issue that I was going to, to explore in my fanfic. Okay. You have in – I pick on Star Wars for this mainly because it's something that everybody knows. But any sort of action film or TV show or book, anything, uh, not specific just to sci-fi, but anything in action, you always have these expendable characters. And the hero goes in and they just they, – they do what they got to do. 
they shoot the place up, they blow things up, you know, they they stab whatever they got to do, right? Yeah. And as the audience, you just see them as being the hero, doing what they have to do to save the day. Yeah. But I was thinking about this. These people, they're portrayed as just being nothing. They're just, they're <laughs> expendable. Yeah. They die. Who cares? Nobody. But I was thinking, those stormtroopers probably had families. <laughs> you know? The st- I don't want to completely give away my fanfic. Well, no, I'm going to, because I'm not going to write it. But I was thinking, what if they have concerns about, they're getting low tests on their marksmanship, and they're still <laughs> sending them out, mm-hmm. their their armor is inferior, and, you know, their their wives are worried about them, and, and you know, they send them out, go defend this moon. We're not ready for this. It doesn't matter. Go. <laughs> You know, um, here we've got somebody who appears to be one of these expendable casualties. It's a nobody. It's an obstacle in the way of the hero. That's all he is. Yeah. But I like that they go deeper into it. That expendable guard was a person. Right. With a family. Yeah. His death meant something to somebody. And and like I said, we come 300 years in the future to Mm -hmm. an ancestor of that guard who's still holding a grudge right yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it's a that's a good point it, it and i'm not i'm not saying that in, in like making light that's actually kind of cool mm-hmm. that, that there's consequence yeah for that kind of for that action you right know? yeah yeah no exactly and that's that's all that's the whole thing that i'm saying is yeah. it, it'd be nice if and i understand why they can't they've got to tell a story they've got to move the plot along yeah but it's kind of interesting to think about that, that all these people that are just getting just whacked left and right. <laughs> yeah. Think about those people as having families. Right. You know, do, do you value life or not? Do our heroes value life or not? We like to think Dylan does. And from his reaction, I think it appears that he does. He did not want to kill that guard. Rade had no, had no second thoughts about no it. No problem. Right. <laughs> He actually looked like he enjoyed it. He he bit. was like, "Come on, let's do it! What are you waiting for?" You know, yeah. and not in in several occasions, but but I just I thought that was really fascinating, especially since it's something that I've been thinking about yeah. recently. No, it was a good point for the story. I, I thought I thought that was actually like you're saying one of the stronger points mm-hmm. of the plot mm-hmm. is to have that little bit of backstory. Uh, it, it worked well, and it actually made it. It legitimized that character, the, the lawyer, in mm-hmm. having her there. Right. Because she has a stake in what's going on. Yeah. it's a good point. So we didn't have Harper. We didn't have Rev. Mm-hmm. That's fine. We got exposition as to why. Mm-hmm. We didn't have Rami. So uh, Lexa Dog apparently had uh, the week off. Mm-hmm. Which happens. They, they they have these different actors cycle through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so So Rami's not on the ship. Um, obviously the ship is in trouble. It needs to be vented, mm-hmm. apparently. And right. that, does that have to be done manually? This seems like a good job for an, an android of the ship, an avatar yeah. of the ship. Mm-hmm. Or one seems, of, even one of the many service androids. Yeah. But, yeah. This seems like a good job for her to, to be able to do, because mm-hmm. she can be at it at all times. She doesn't have to sleep. You know, there may be some recharge time in there, but you've got an hour in between ventings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's not there. There's no hollow. There's no screen version. There's nothing. 
Why did we not get exposition there's, on this? There's, there's one line, but it's just a voiceover. It's a voice at the end of the show. That That's all. You're right, but that's all we And that get. could have been cut and pasted out of another episode <laughs> and put in there. Mm-hmm. So literally, she doesn't show up, but I, I didn't like that there was no exposition as to why we never see her on camera. Mm-hmm. And, and they've done that for all of the other... There's always a reason yeah. for someone to not be on camera. Right. And the fact that they don't do it for Rami in this one is just, it's glaring. And I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that that little point. Yeah. I, I Yeah, you're right. And I see what you're saying. I, the only thing I can, the only thing I can guess is just that maybe they were hoping people wouldn't notice. Yeah. Or maybe the fact that the AP valve was bad somehow knocked her system offline. Maybe they had to conserve or something. I thought it was a glaring omission. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Moving right. on. Okay, going back to uh to Mobius and then the everything that happened after Farron was uh killed. We find out that the reason Venetri is in power is because basically from his uh from his exposition, he was put in that position by Dylan. And then Dylan promised him that the Commonwealth would come to back him. And that's one of the things that he was upset about, is that he died, the Commonwealth fell, they didn't help him. Right. Um, I I just have a question. Why appoint an architect to be leader over this entire world uh, system, I guess? Risk-reward. That's all it comes down to. He risked his life to take him out. Reward the man. Put him in position position of power okay well i mean you know maybe maybe give him a <laughs> he's the only one that knows his way around the checkered board yeah i know <laughs> you're right it just seems like there would be somebody else uh, in a in a, a better position um maybe better qualified yeah to to be able to handle that kind of responsibility i mean is well i think this is an interesting point that the commonwealth has actually sent in 12 teams ahead Ahead of Dylan and Rade's. Yeah. Maybe in those 12 teams, they had backups, but maybe with those 12 teams that were getting taken out, maybe the backups were being taken out as well. Wh- which backups are you talking about? You mean the Commonwealth know. backups maybe, or the, or the yeah. Morbius, people on Morbius? Uh, wh- whoever the Commonwealth wanted to put into position. Okay. So there was no one left except the architect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what happens is the president dies, the vice president takes over. The vice president dies, who takes over after that? So, well, maybe you move on down the list where it's like... Uh, I was reading an article where uh, the guy selected to survive the nuclear blast that happens in in the government uh, preparation Mm -hmm. for a a nuclear event. What if it's the secretary of farms or Mm -hmm. interior or whatever, you know, farming and agriculture? What if it's that guy? Mm -hmm. He's the only one left. Well, maybe it got down to the chief architect for Mobius, you know, and uh, Venetri was the guy that got stuck in the got plugged in. Wow. Okay. Well, then that's sad for Mobius, then. Agreed. Yeah. Um, speaking of Mobius, this whole deal with Zang uh, Bristol 4, wh- why was the Commonwealth involved in this? I don't... Good question. Empire building. That's all I can think of. Because neither of these uh, systems were part of the Commonwealth. Right. And so how is it... That Commonwealth can take Farron to Tarn Vedra and try him. What is their legal jurisdiction over over Mobius? 
I, it's one of those deals. Don't look too closely. <laughs> don't look at. Don't look for jurisdictional prudence or jurisprudence. Um. Yeah, on the outside, it we're dancing dangerously close to what we think about the episode and why we think that way. Because <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like we need to take this and come back to it. Okay, in, in that part of the discussion. All right. In the meantime, let's let's talk about the characters. What okay. have we learned about the characters from this episode, Force Perspective? Well, I think one of the the biggest and most obvious ones was uh, was trance. We learn a lot about um, the nature of trance, how she works, what she does. Uh, not really an explanation as to who she is or how she does it, but we're learning a little bit more about what it is that she does and what. It is that she can do. Yeah, and Dylan actually at one point kind of calls her on it. Do you you have precognition? And she's like, "Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes and no." Mm-hmm. And and I thought that was that was nice that we got a little more clarity mm-hmm. into just what it is actually that's that's causing her to function the way she does. Mm-hmm. And it was fun that she guessed wrong. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, but no, that that was great. And and my thought on on her character as well. She's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Laura Bertram as a, as an actress, she she's just genuinely sweet. She seems like a great person, and this comes across in in her delivery of the line. Uh, Thieves have bad intentions. I never do. Mm-hmm. And you, she says that, and you're like, "There's more going on." Mm-hmm. She knows more than what she's letting on, and yet she doesn't seem evil at all mm-hmm. with that. And, and, and so when she says that, yeah, I, I I took things and I gave them to other people, and mm-hmm. I didn't have bad intentions about it. You almost want to say, "Okay, <laughs> you get you get a free pass." You know, and that's, I thought that was great that she, as a, as a character can deliver those lines and it keeps you disarmed, even mm-hmm. though, you know, she has a, uh, she has more knowledge or a greater ability than what you're being led to believe mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as ability, of course, we've got this, this whole thing with, with seeing possibilities and possible futures. Um, and then also just her her physical abilities. We see they get yeah. in a fight and she just chokes that guy out. She does yeehaw again too. <laughs> Did she yeehaw? She yeehawed. <laughs> Did you miss that? I missed that. We got the yeehaw again. Their continuity. It was oh, great. Okay. All right. Yeah, no. Um, so it kind of makes you think that whole deal with tear that in one of those early episodes where he's trying to teach her how to fight. Yeah. She's playing. With she's them. yeah. She's yeah. toying with them. Absolutely. So, yeah, because I mean, she just she just chokes that guy out, and even Dylan is just kind of, and he's seen her fight before, mm-hmm. and he's just like, huh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was great. Uh, speaking of Tear, I, I I think we have to have the discussion. Tear, we, have, and we have to have the talk. We we have to have the talk. Okay, uh, when a man. And a woman. <laughs> when no. a Nietzschean. When a Nietzschean and a human and a, and a regular human. Uh, no, so we have this inferred tension mm-hmm. between Tyr and Becca. Mm-hmm. Is it real? Is there something going on? Or is this just a bump in the overarching season one story arc? A blip, rather. Not a, not a, not a bump, but a, a blip. Are you asking me as someone that knows? Um, 
I I know you probably know more. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like trance that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I've I've watched into the second season, and there is no chemistry between the two of them, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. I so I, I find it hard to believe that this is going to be revisited. This just feels contrived. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of the two of them getting together. I think Tyr may have some feelings for Becca. But he, obviously, he respects her. Mm-hmm. She's tough. Mm-hmm. She's a survivor. She has a lot of the qualities that uh, somebody like Tyr would would appreciate. But I don't know the whole the, their their awkwardness mm-hmm. afterward just feels wrong, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, it seems like Becca is more of a tough cookie, and she would be able to handle a situation like that without it seeming awkward. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's people that can be just extremely confident and extremely tough in every way except for that. When it comes to any sort of relationship kind of stuff, I mean, there's some guys that are just, they're really tough. They can do anything. Get them around to go, (laughs) you know, then all of a sudden they don't even know their name. Right, right. So... I don't know. Maybe that's kind of a part of what is going on. Maybe they are both so tough and so confident. Now they're they're in this ship completely alone. I mean, yeah. you would think Rami would chaperone them or something, but she's nowhere to be found. Um, for Becca, maybe it's just like okay, whatever. Yeah. And then, but for for Tyr, he has these higher ideas, and and relationships are not just for fun or for pleasure. It is pretty much purely for the sole purpose of passing on your genes. Yeah. And he is not going to risk passing on his genes with a kludge. And it's it's just it's something it's is completely as far as his belief system, his value system. Yeah, he I was knows. Say, it was interesting. He was he's reading uh, Nietzsche, mm-hmm. uh, Beyond Good and Bad. I think is the yeah. book. It actually shows the cover of it. And in that book, Nietzsche expounds on the idea of uh, basically, if I if I get it right, the 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 idea of Christian morality is restrictive for the for human nature. And so obviously that's something that Tyr holds to. Mm-hmm. Whatever it takes to survive, whatever it takes to pass on your genes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of morality that's relative, mm-hmm. and so when he when he puts this forward to to Becca though, it doesn't fully seem like he's doing it based on survival and on genetics. He offers to cook dinner for, her mm-hmm. and it and and put candles. Which yeah, the candles was it really does kind of send a message, and maybe a message that Becca was getting. Yeah. Whether he intended for that message to get across or not, maybe he was trying to do something, and then when she starts talking about it, and then all of a sudden it becomes very real to him. Yeah. So he's just like, oh no, not in a million years. Yeah. Yeah, whoa, 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 wait a second. Yeah. I haven't thought this through fully. (laughs) No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, I I don't know. I, I, it was interesting, but not. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed it, it seemed out of place, mm-hmm. even though this it seems like a good time for something like that to to crop up. Yeah, and you know, maybe it was just purely because they were alone on the ship for an extended period of time. Maybe it was just a situation 
that was starting to get to them. Right. Maybe they do have feelings and they're holding them deep, 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 buried deep down inside so that they never surface. And this opportunity presents itself alone on the ship for an extended period of time and they kind of started to air it out a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, this is for all these reasons. Not, not going right. to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Enough on that. Let's move on to Dylan. Do, do you have any observations about Dylan in this episode? Well, I think one thing that he should have said was, don't tase me, bro. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Actually, what I was thinking of was more along the lines of um, Dylan. We, we've seen him throughout this whole thing, setting up the Commonwealth. That's his goal. Mm-hmm. And he has these higher ideals that he's wanting to hold to. Uh, those higher ideals are tested on Mobius, both in the past and in in the present as well. And so Dylan's uh, resolve in order to, to take the high road, uh, it breaks. I mean, he tried it in the past. It didn't apparently didn't work. And he's seeing the consequences of his actions in the future. And now when he has to make the decision to go in guns blazing or to take the high road to do the right thing. He's decided to go in guns blazing, mm-hmm. and, and and we get trance, which she, he has. She gives this, you know, uh, she gives a great speech about having good intentions, and so he decides once he's in that situation to go in guns blazing. He he reverses himself, uh, but before he goes in, he asks trance the question when she's talking to him about, you know, if you have good intentions, then the then the outcome is going to be better. And he says, how do we make things better? Intentions, good intentions, just just aren't enough. And Trance says, well, you know, we start with good intentions, and you have that better chance of ending up with mm-hmm. something good. And I think that's a great speech. It's, it's very bonk-bonk on the head, uh, very heavy-handed, but it, it's still a good point, and mm-hmm. I think it's valid in in real world. Mm-hmm. You know, the the the, the power of uh, positive thinking. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of thing, uh, and, and we get to see that here, and we get to see Dylan kind of correct himself because he does go in with his gun up, mm-hmm. but then he puts it down, mm-hmm. and he realizes. And in, I think it was very telling. Uh, Venetri calls him a hypocrite. And, and basically says that the, the Commonwealth is corrupt, and now you're just you're just spreading that corrupt idea. Dylan though says, "My Commonwealth is not going to be based on that." Mm-hmm. He doesn't say the Commonwealth wasn't based on that, because I think Dylan is beginning to understand there are things about the old Commonwealth that, while it was good and it kept the peace, there are elements of it, and we see a lot of of what those elements were in this episode that don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And so he's deciding. I'm reestablishing the Commonwealth, but there are some of those bad elements that aren't going to make it in. And I and, and and he's acknowledging I've seen it in the past. We're going to try and do it differently. And I think it's a great uh, it's 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 great to see his character kind of grow in that overarching story of reestablishing the Commonwealth. He's trying to do it the best way possible instead of just. Try it and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he brings out that uh, the Commonwealth is that they're trying to build it through persuasion. Yeah, rather than force. Right. And this is not the first time that this conversation has been had on this series. Um, this is this is a conversation that's that's taken place between Tyr and Dylan. 
um, in sometimes very heated situations, Tyr says, get the guns out, ready the missiles, let's go. Yeah. And then Dylan's usually the one that always says, no, 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 we're not going to create this commonwealth by force. Yeah. People have to choose to be part of it. And so he's he's really just extending that opportunity out to Venetri at this point. Yeah. And you mentioned intentions. That's a theme that it seems like a big focus of what Trance is saying to Dylan. But that theme of intentions runs through this entire episode, which yeah. is something I didn't catch until I was actually reading through the, the transcript of this episode. Um, I should have kept a tally how many times the word intentions was used. Because it did come up frequently, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Even before any of this stuff with with uh, with Trance, before she ever came to bust out Dylan out of, out of his uh, cell or anything, even just conversations between um, the lawyer and Dylan or... Rade and, yeah. and Dylan and Venetri, yeah. Yeah, it was... They kept using the word intentions. Yeah. W- when you came down here 300 years ago, your intentions were yeah. to destroy us. You know, and then he says, you know, like that, those weren't my intentions. Right. You know, yeah. It's just, so there's, there's all of that. That about, thread was prevalent throughout the entire episode. Yeah. And you know what? That's a good segue because our, our quote for this episode humans say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Why do they think there's a shortage of bad ones? And that's from the Karmluk Pan Coup, The Joy of Lucidity. Commonwealth year 8633. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to, to... We know that this is not human philosophy. This is obviously someone else looking on the outside, looking in at humans. Because I don't, I, I don't know what this Karmluk Panku... I don't know what that name is. It's not Than. No. Because you know, then it would be something like... Sunlight at dusk. Yeah. <laughs> Frolicking elk. or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, this is someone that is not human. This is, this is a human expression. Mm-hmm. We hear this all the time. Yeah. Um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay, yeah. basically saying people try to do what they think is a good thing. Yeah. Their intentions are good. The results are disastrous. Yeah. This happens time and time again. And typically what that is, is people trying to control a certain situation, mm-hmm. put, trying to put order to chaos. Mm-hmm. And and here again, we come back to, to trance. Trance makes the point. You can't control this situation. Mm-hmm. All you can control are your intentions. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad thing about, uh, well, rule by man is a lot of times the intention is good. It's to establish order where there's chaos, to fix where something seems to be broken. Mm-hmm. But like you said, uh, you set out with a good intention, but sometimes you have to make some very, what ends up being very poor decisions mm-hmm. in order to get a desired result or something close to a desired result. Sadly, it steps on other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and sadly, uh, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it, we like you were saying, it's a human expression, and we as human beings are used to seeing that played out throughout history. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for, it's interesting that that point of view, an outsider looking in, they acknowledge there's all kinds of bad roads. Mm-hmm. 
why why do you why do you feel like you have to you know take the high one going into it? It's just going to end up bad anyway. <laughs> At least that's how I kind of took that that take on it. So that's rational, yeah. reasonable. So let's talk about the show. Um, just step back from it now. What what are your thoughts on on this episode, uh, just as a whole? I think the message is good. Um, I, I like we've talked about intent is a large part of why we do things. Having the good intentions, you you can't go wrong with that message. Start out with good intentions. Chances are you're going to end up with good. But as the episode points out, even when you have an inkling as to what's to come, like Trance does in making a decision, you can still make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And she does. Uh, So it's always best to start out with good intentions, but don't be surprised if it blows up in your face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's a message that's just inherent with with our nature as human beings. And so I, I think that threads very well through this entire episode. However, there are some glaring plot holes okay. <laughs> that are in this episode, and we've touched on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the whole idea of why was Venetri picked? Mm-hmm. I don't think we really get an explanation. There's not a good explanation why. How has Venetri, an architect, become a master of genetics yeah. to keep himself alive for 300 years. Right. That was another big one that I wanted to talk about. We, we have yeah. nothing to go on mm-hmm. as to how that's happened. It just happened. Right. <laughs> He's surrounded himself with smart people. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Um, so we have that that isn't talked about. Um, we have Dylan and Rade there, and the Commonwealth is just seems to be okay with if you got to take them out, take them out. That's mm-hmm. fine. Suddenly now we have this whole idea of what type of government is the Commonwealth? Is it is it good? Not if they're okay with overthrowing dictatorships that they don't even have a jurisdiction over and killing dictators. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of questions here that we could really – we could take another hour and discuss them. Mm-hmm. The nature of the Commonwealth and, and why Venetri is able to uh, – continue his himself for 300 years when it seems like no one else has been able to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that come up that are glaring. And, and there again, Rami, she's not in the episode. We get no exposition. Mm-hmm. Tyr and Becca, they touch on it. There seems to be something there, but it feels like it's out of place or at least hurried or rushed for this episode. There's a lot of things wrong with this episode, in my opinion. And while, like I said, I think the message is good, ultimately I come down on the side of, I'm I'm left at the end of this episode scratching my head, and there's a lot of stuff that isn't answered, and it detracts from my being able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like this episode. You know, I a lot of times I always talk about, uh, when we get to this part, I always go back to the first time I watched this series, uh, when it first aired, and is. Was this a, sh- a show? Was this an episode that I remember? Um, and a lot of times they are. This one was not. I don't remember this episode. It could have been that I was out that particular Saturday night, but I do remember it from my last time watching through. Probably about a year ago was when I started watching Andromeda through again. I do remember it from that time, and so. 
knowing what I remembered about this episode, I was fully prepared to come in here and and just really rip this episode and say that that I just really didn't like it. And then as I watch it, I take notes on it, we discuss it. I find there's a lot more things in this episode um, that give it a lot more merit than what I had given credit for the first time around. Was it the strongest episode that we've seen to this point? No, definitely not. And I just, I still don't even know if I can say that it was a bad episode. Uh, There were, like, a lot of the things that you mentioned already, a lot of the holes, a lot of the things that just didn't really... I don't think I pick on the Tyr and Becca thing as much as as you do. Um, I give it a little bit more of a pass, not because I believe it, or that I believe that there is something really there between them or something they're struggling with. But it's just stuff happens, whether it's office romances or, you know, just little flings that happen. I mean, it's just it's stuff that you, you got to be on the guard for it. You got to watch for it, because this is the kind of thing that just happens. You leave two people, especially two attractive people alone of the opposite sex. And this is the kind of thing that can happen. Yeah. Um, no, there, there can start to be an attraction that's not a real attraction. Right. It's it's a very superficial thing. And so maybe that's why we don't believe it as being real is because it's not real. It's just a it's it's an opportunity. It ju- it just okay, and and maybe that is. Maybe I'm projecting the idea that this would never work mm-hmm. ultimately. For whatever reasons that that they come up with as characters from what we know about the characters, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I have a hard time believing that it, there was any merit to it to begin with. Yeah, I and I agree with you on that. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's as deep as that. Okay. I think it's far more superficial. And to say that is that superficial, that doesn't make it any better, but it's more believable. Yeah. No, I can see that. But, you know, just taking those other things away from it, I think there's still a lot of things in this episode that we need in order to to move this series forward. There are things that, that happen in this episode that we don't get from other episodes before it. True. Um, all the stuff we talked about with, with trance. Yeah. We've always gotten little glimpses and hints at things that she's able to do. This time, she... I'm not going to say she explains it, but she definitely explains it more than she has ever explained it before. Yeah, yeah. And so we're really able to get a much more clear idea of what Trance is capable of. But I, I really liked how at the end they kind of they kind of reined her back in mm-hmm. when she makes a report to Dylan. Yes, I love I, that report. <laughs> I came, I found you, <laughs> we, we escaped, you know, and then, then that's it. You know, yeah. we're back here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so that's where we're at. Yeah, I didn't like it so much. You you haven't really said, have you? You liked the episode? It wasn't my favorite. I didn't hate it. Um, I I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to. Okay, it's it's not terrible. It's it's not real good. You know, it's I kind of put it there in about the same uh, tiers, like the ties that blind, maybe a little better. Okay. I don't know. And I'd give you 10 quatloos if I didn't have to watch it again. Oh, <laughs> great. Well, I'll see your 10 quatloos and raise you 10 guilders. Okay. Yeah. 
Man, we're nerds. <laughs> um, I think we got it pretty well, but if, what if someone out there thinks we're wrong? They probably do. I'd like to know it. Okay. I'd like to know, because I'm sure maybe we missed something. Maybe there's something about this, this episode that we're just not seeing. So, if there well, is... Well, if you have a negative comment, don't send it to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. Well, you know what? I don't mind hearing about it on the social media. So if you want a positive or negative comment, we'd love to hear either one of them. We're on Twitter and Facebook using the handle Andromeda Pod at both of those places. Our home is Podbean. We are www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And you can find us on iTunes in the iTunes store. It's Drive Back the Night Podcast. And if you do listen to us there and subscribe, give us a review. Give us some stars. We'd appreciate it. Much thanks again to our friend Tim Kimmerly, who gives us his voice for the opening quote at the beginning of each episode. We are an Age of Geek production, and we hope to see you again here next week as we discuss the episode, The Sum of Its Parts. Parts.